Now, I know it's the week of Thanksgiving, and why are we promoting Christmas? Because we want you to help us with something. Uh, December is, starts next Sunday, and we're going to begin a special emphasis with the Sundays leading up to Christmas that we've entitled The Cast of Christmas. And we want to help people to reflect on what the story of Christmas is about, and we want, we want you to enable that to be as broad an impact as possible. And the way that you can do that is, is twofold. One, take with you these little cards that we set out in the seats and take advantage of them and extend an invitation to someone you know to come and participate with us as we move into the month of December. Uh, the information that highlights the, the, the focus of the, the series is there. Whether it's a coworker or a family member or just your next door neighbor, show some initiative and just invite them to come. As we look forward to Christmas Eve, we'll be having three services in the gym on Christmas Eve, one at four, five, and six. And so we're going to give people as many opportunities as possible to participate in a meaningful way in the celebration of Christmas. The other thing I want to promote with you is on your way out, if you've not already done so, we want you to take one of these devotional books, one per household, let me stress that, because we're wanting you to do this as a family experience or as a couple or as an individual, but uh, this will walk you through just reflecting on the cast of Christmas. Now, you don't start reading this week. We actually begin the readings on December 1st. But we wanted to give it to you this week because some of you might be away next Sunday because of Thanksgiving, and we didn't want you to miss out on participating in the readings. And so if you haven't already done so, pick one of these up on your way out. This morning, though, our focus isn't on Christmas. In fact, I've entitled today's message, True Worshipper. The Father is seeking you. I mean, as I look at Thanksgiving just a few days away, we understand the activity of Thanksgiving, but do we understand what the Bible teaches about true worship? With some, worship is attending a service like this. The Bible says, no, that's not what worship actually is. Worship is something more than that. But what is it? Well, if you were with us last Sunday, we were reading in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John about a, an encounter Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And I recommended last week, if you were here, that you read the fourth chapter of John, in a way, just to reflect more on the story of how Jesus affects this woman's life, but also to prepare you for today. For in the fourth chapter of, of John's gospel, really uh, verses 1 through 30, Jesus is described as having this interaction with this Samaritan woman and seeks through that interaction to lead her to the truth of who he is. And we touched on that a little bit last week. Uh, the beautiful part of the conversation, I think, as Jesus is trying to point her to who he is, is, is highlighted in verses 13 and 14. I read it last Sunday. Let me read these two verses to you again today, where Jesus is trying to open her eyes to the power of who he is. And he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, referring to the water of the well of Jacob, there where they were, were gathered, but will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water, notice that I will give him or give her 
will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That I will affect this person in such a way that life will begin to manifest itself and it will touch eternity. I remind every one of us here today that that's the difference Jesus wants to make in our lives. As we relate to him for who he is, as we respond to him for who he is, he wants us to experience life in him. And he makes this appeal to this woman. Now, if you read the whole of the discussion, again, she doesn't immediately respond to that. Uh, She kind of deflects attention away from even herself and begins to talk about religion in a general way. But the exciting thing is you look at this story is ultimately she comes to see the truth of who Jesus is and believes in him. I hope this Sunday morning you can admit the same, that you have trusted in who Jesus is. But our focus today isn't so much on the life she came to find in Jesus, Our focus today is on a discussion she raises with Jesus about worship. Now, I think, really, initially, she's trying to kind of redirect the conversation away from herself, like a lot of people do, by the way, if you talk to them about who Jesus is. They just want to kind of talk about religion in general, and that's what she attempts to do. But what is beneficial for us is as Jesus kind of engages her there, He actually teaches us something about worship that all of us as followers of Jesus need to understand. I want to read that for you. It's found in verses 20 and following. Listen, as Jesus is talking to her, she begins by saying, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's referring to Mount Gerizim. This woman is a Samaritan in background. There was a lot of racial and religious tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. And she's saying, now listen, uh, our fathers, we worship here at Mount Gerizim on this mountain. But you say, because Jesus on her part was perceived to be Jewish, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman... Believe me, the hour is coming. Now listen to that language. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for, he explains, salvation is from the Jews. Now, just to clarify that, if you read from the Old Testament into the New Testament, from the very beginning, God established a plan where he would provide the Savior of the world. That plan would be through the descendants of Abraham, who became the children of Israel, who ultimately provided the opportunity for God to send the Savior. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It would come from the Jews. But it doesn't stop there. He adds... But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father, notice, is seeking such people to worship him. God, he explains, is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit 
and truth. Once more, the larger emphasis of this conversation is to lead this woman to discover the truth of Jesus. But in the midst of that, Jesus actually reveals something to us that has far-reaching implications when it comes to worship. Did you hear what he said? He says to this woman, as he would say to us today, the Father is seeking true worshipers. That God himself is looking for those individuals who would worship him in the true way. I don't know about you, that kind of gets my attention. I mean, Jesus says not every act of worship apparently is true worship. That there is a Expression of worship that the Father himself is seeking. Which I think if you look at the language of this, we want to know what that is, right? If the Father is looking for worship to be expressed in a particular way, I don't want to be confused about that. Thankfully, if you look at what Jesus says, he even explains to her what that means. For example, as Jesus talks with this woman, he helps us to realize that true worship actually requires his work, Jesus' work, that no person will be able to respond to God appropriately apart from him. Now, you say, I don't know that I saw that stated. Well, actually, let me highlight that for you. Go back to verse 21. Jesus said to the woman, woman, believe me, The hour is coming. Jesus is pointing to an event that's going to affect things. He says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Worship, Jesus is explaining, is about to change. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. Notice the emphasis on something happening. And now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I tried to underline in your mind the emphasis on the hour. It's very much on Jesus' mind. He's trying to highlight for our benefit that something's about to happen that will totally redefine how worship would be experienced for all humanity. Now, what is the hour that he's pointing to? He's pointing to his work on our behalf. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus came with the mission. His mission was as the Son of God, to do everything necessary to address our need as sinful humanity. And the hour in particular, if you read on into John's Gospel, is pointing us to the moment of sacrifice. The hour that will change everything is his death on the cross. That because Jesus is willing to lay down his life because of our sin. He 
will make possible for our relationship with a holy God to forever change. He can reconcile us to God through his work. His death, resurrection, ascension is the basis that any one of us can draw near to God. See, if you really consider it, what is worship? It's our effort to encounter God, to relate to God. Because of Jesus' work, you can, is the point that he's making. What he's about to do will alter everything. Now, to drive this home, the Gospels tell us that as Jesus died on the cross, there in Jerusalem, in the temple that there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And the Gospels describe how that veil was torn from top to bottom. What's God doing with that? He's teaching us that with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, one's experience of, with God has changed. Worship has changed. Now, some of us maybe feel unworthy to worship the Lord Let's just then remind ourselves that worship is based on his work, not yours. He's the one that brings it about. So it starts there. But second, and I think you notice this as I've been reading the, the verses, true worship also requires, as Jesus explains it, spirit and truth. Did you see that? Jesus says, now everything's about to change. The hour's coming when true worshipers, well, in fact, don't take my word for it. Let's go back to the, the verses. Verse 23, the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers, as compared to false, if I might say, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And he says, God is spirit. That's a strong statement. What is in part being suggested there is God's not as we are. There's going to be a mystery, a glory, a wonder to who he is, that God is spirit. He's not confined to Gerizim or Jerusalem. He is spirit. And those who worship him, Jesus then explains must worship in spirit and truth. Now look at the little verb must, if you would with me for a moment. In the New Testament language, it's the Greek word day. It literally means it is necessary. It is essential. It's something that must happen. And if... We hear Jesus then describe things as he is. Jesus is suggesting to us that it's impossible to worship as a true worshiper apart from what? Spirit and truth. It is only as we worship in spirit and truth that we legitimately worship him. Since Jesus is the one that is emphasizing that, since Jesus is the one that says true worship is through spirit, it requires spirit and truth, I think it's imperative for us to make sure we didn't know what that means, don't you? I mean, I don't want, 
our worship, whether it's here or in the flow of a week, I don't want it to be false. So let's unpack this. Let's take it in reverse order. Let's begin by considering what it means to worship in truth. Jesus would say true worship requires truth. Now I want to start there largely because of the day in which we live. I mean, more and more in our society, people are doubting whether there is even such a thing as truth, objective truth. They would argue that really all we can do is kind of reach some convictions within ourselves that truth, if we're going to use that language, is something you intuitively feel. It's not something that is necessarily revealed externally. And more and more people, maybe people that you know, would say, that's how I look at it. Uh, Truth is what you make of it. You need to realize, as Jesus is talking about worship, he's not referring to some intuitive feeling. That we don't worship as true worshipers because of what we intuitively think is true. He's actually pointing to something that is revealed. A truth that is even objective in nature. The reason this is so critical is because, you see, if if truth is not present, then worship is false. And false worship results from ignorance in some regard. I mean, as he was talking to the woman, the Samaritan, he said to her, you worship what you do not know. He's actually challenging her at the point of her ignorance. You may not be aware that Samaritans, again, there was kind of an open hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans only considered the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, to be God's revelation. So they only read, only reflected upon the first books of what we would call the Old Testament. That's as far as they allowed the truth to be known. Jesus, as he speaks to her, is trying to accentuate with her, listen, you don't even have the full truth. You're worshiping what you don't even know. The rest, God didn't stop speaking with Moses. He's continued to speak. But you see, some people, honestly, they select maybe just a few things that they'll embrace as truth, and then they characterize their worship, but much of their worship is based on what they don't know, ignorance. And that's false worship, as Jesus would say it. We need to know the truth. The truth is a part of worship. I think, though, when I look at how some are reacting in our culture today, it's not so much they're ignorant as much it's, I fear it's worse. What they're actively doing is denying the truth. And if you consider that, false worship results because of that denial. It isn't that God hasn't been speaking, hasn't been revealing. They just cover their ears and their eyes. They just don't want to accept that the truth is there. Paul writes to a church in the city of Rome trying to kind of assess his culture in his day. And as he looked at people in his day, they were rejecting and denying the truth. And he feared the consequences of that. Let me read a few verses to highlight that. Verse 18 of Romans 1, he says, For the wrath of God's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They don't want to hear it. 
deny it. That doesn't mean that they may not involve themselves in worship, but it won't be true worship. Indeed, later he says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, I wanted to read these couple of verses because as Paul looked at his culture, he says, you know, since they've rejected the truth, they're going to worship something. So they worship a God of their own making. They devote themselves to a God of their own making. You think we have that problem in 2019? I came across a comment that was written all the way back in 1928. Evelyn Underhill was writing to a group of clergy, and she said this of her day. We are drifting toward a religion, speaking of Christianity, which consciously or unconsciously keeps its eye on humanity rather than deity. That even in the context of what we call worship services, in 1928, she says it seems like we're focusing more on ourselves than we are on who God is. That we're worshiping even ourselves. This past week, I attended a, a service where my dad was honored and awarded his kind of a, a, an award based on his years of faithful preaching. But Dr. Tony Evans was there, and he delivered a message. And you know what he said? His conclusion is that as he looks at, at 2019 America, it seems like instead of worshiping the God of Scripture, we've, we've somehow developed in our mind a God of culture. We've brought culture into the church, and, and whether we intended to or not, we seem to be worshiping the culture more than we are God. And I would argue that's possible when truth is absent. When we don't allow truth to speak, we'll find ourselves worshiping, but falsely. No, true worship requires truth. Jesus said that. And what Jesus means by that is revealed truth. Once more, if you have doubts whether or not there is such a thing as objective truth, I'm not going to persuade you in just a, mo a minute to come to my way of thinking. I will, however, try to express to you where I am. When I look at the world that I see and the complexity of it and my understanding that when you really break it down, given the detail necessary to bring life into being and to sustain life, to me there's no doubt that there's a creator. It really, science makes it self-evident to me that there is. But here's the deal. I don't think the God who has the wisdom and the power to bring everything that I see into being was silent. I mean, that would make no sense at all. If he has the wisdom to design the human DNA, which he did, I don't think he'd be silent. And in my hand, I have what we call the Bible. It testifies to the truth that he's not. That in Genesis 1, he spoke, and from that point forward, he's been speaking. 
revealing himself. And when Jesus alludes to truth, that's what he's talking about. That if we're going to be true worshipers, we will not do so apart from what has been revealed concerning God. It requires that. You'll not worship outside of that. It's not lost on me that when Jesus is introduced in John's gospel, interestingly, John first refers to Jesus not by his name, Jesus, but refers to Jesus as the logos, which is the Greek word for word. And in John 1.14, he said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did John do that? Well, in part, he wanted us to realize that the glory and the fullness of God as Father, Son, and Spirit has always been. And he only later was given the name Jesus upon his birth. But part of what's being highlighted is that in Jesus, we have the ultimate revelation of God. The Word was made flesh. He spoke the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact rep representation of God. If you want to know who God is, what God is like, just look at Jesus. He's the embodiment of. Listen to Jesus. His words are the revelation of. And so when we speak of truth, I, I don't think I'm on kind of faulty ground to stand up and say God has spoken. And Jesus is the ultimate revelation of that. By the way, later in John's gospel, in John 17, Jesus is praying. If you want something to read this afternoon, last week I said chapter 4. Why don't you read chapter 17? He's praying for you, by the way. Listen to what he prays. John 17, verse 17, he prays for us, sanctify them in the truth. And then he throws in, your word is truth. I just want us to think about this morning, if we hope to worship, we will only worship as we recognize the truth of who God is as he's revealed himself to us through the testimony of his word. That's why in our services we spend time opening the Bible, not so that I have something to do, but so that you might encounter the truth and encountering the truth might then respond. But let's come back to what Jesus said. He said true worship requires truth. He also said true worship requires spirit. Now if you look at your English Bibles, you may notice that the word spirit is not with the capital S. Now some want to push it there as if requires the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to deny that indeed the presence of God has to be involved in this process. But if you look at what Jesus is emphasizing, he's not emphasizing the Holy Spirit. He's emphasizing that part of you that actually makes you who you are. The Spirit in you. That core of who you are as an individual. Now the language we typically use, I think, in 2019 is... He's saying the heart of you needs to be engaged in this. True worship involves spirit, the heart and truth. Not just truth, but also 
the very core of who you are, your spirit. I say that as strongly as I do based on really the context of this whole discussion. If you look back at verse 21, Jesus says to the woman, woman, believe in me, the hour is coming when neither notice on this mountain, Gerizim, the Samaritans, nor in Jerusalem, the Jews, will you worship the Father? Some think, and I agree with them, that what Jesus is pointing to are kind of the two wrong extremes that produce false worship. Now, in Jerusalem, their focus was on truth, but it lacked heart. At Gerizim, they were very enthusiastic in worship. They expressed themselves outwardly, dramatically. If you didn't know, even in 2019, there are still Samaritans worshiping at Gerizim, but in ignorance, without truth. But see, in Jerusalem, they had the truth. They lacked spirit. Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his day. Listen to what he says to them in in Matthew 15a. This people honors me with their lips, but with their heart, their heart is far from me. Then he adds, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The indictment is that They have truth. They lack spirit. They lack heart. It's just not there. Now, this is critical. Please stay with me. If we're going to be true worshipers, understand Jesus would say it must then engage both the heart, the spirit, and the mind. That worship isn't an activity. Just because you sing a song doesn't mean that you've worshiped. Just because we read a Bible verse doesn't mean that we've worshipped. Worship engages both the heart and the mind. With the mind, we see the truth and we come to more fully understand who God is. And with the heart, the spirit, we respond to that. Or we should. I mean, let me break it down. Worship, as Jesus would teach it, is a response. It's not just an activity. It's a heart response, a spirit response to the revelation of who God is. That's when worship happens. I'm not going to deny activities, singing a song, reading the word, can move us toward the response, but it's not an end unto itself. If I sing and my mind does not engage in the words that I'm singing, I'm not focusing upon the truth of who God is. I would argue the activity does not mean worship has happened. But if I sing and the words suddenly awaken in me the realization who God is and my heart is stirred, suddenly now I'm singing in response. And guess what? Worship is happening. Or in the study of the word, in the midst of a sermon, I'm pointing you to the truth. And suddenly you have this aha moment where suddenly you're confronted with who God is and inwardly you respond. That's worship. See, 
The expressions of worship take many forms. Sometimes worship is deep conviction when it results in me returning to him or turning to him. Sometimes worship is a deep sense of thanksgiving as I come to know the truth of how he's acted toward me and then I give thanks. Maybe it's praise as I come face to face with the majesty of the God who calls me his own. And my words of praise are a response to that. Sometimes worship is the devotion that's seen when you go to work because you're following the Lord Jesus and out of response to him, by what you do, you're worshiping him. It's not an activity. It's a response. But if the heart is not engaged in responding to the truth, then the worship is false. That's what Jesus says. Now, just to be clear, Go back to it. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father. So, see, it's relational in spirit, with the heart, and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. That's what He's looking for. The last Sunday of my sabbatical, I was at First Baptist Decatur where my older brother is the pastor. He was preaching through John 4. And when he read that verse, you know what? It just jumped out at me. The Father is looking for me to worship him this way. He's seeking me to worship him this way. He's seeking you. He's looking for a true worshiper in this place. He's seeking you. Now, before we close, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe one of the most meaningful ways we can respond in a context of worship. I want us to observe what's called the Lord's Supper, where Jesus introduced to his disciples an activity that would remind them of the truth of what he did on their behalf. Where he would sacrifice himself so that worship is possible. So that he could reconcile us to God, so that we could draw near. Now Matthew describes how that's introduced. It says, now as they were eating, referring to Jesus' disciples, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the thing. 
We can go through a religious activity and not worship at all. Or, knowing the truth of what Jesus has revealed about himself on our behalf, we can respond to him. In just a moment, the trays will be passed. You'll see that a little wafer and some juice are stacked. Take that, separate them. If they get stuck, just twist it, open it up. But hold in your hands just physical reminders of Christ's sacrifice, symbols of what he was willing to do for your sake. And think about it. Think about what it means for you, how he has reconciled you to the Father how his blood was shed for your sin to be forgiven. Think about it and then respond. I don't want us to be hasty in that. Why don't you bow your head for a moment? Maybe your first prayer privately would be, God, I I don't want to be a false worshiper. I want to worship in spirit and truth. I want my heart to be engaged. I want my mind to acknowledge the truth. Now, if you've had a disappointing week, you've not been relating to him appropriately, maybe you need to seek forgiveness. That's certainly in line. Ask for that. But ask him to help you respond to the truth of who he is. Deacon Joey Cruz is going to voice a prayer of thanks for us now. And then we're going to worship. At least, I hope we will.